how convinced that one of Harte, after the notification he had received, would be too much depressed in spirits to make his appearance on deck this day, and sent a boat to some of my friends who were waiting in hopes of seeing him to say that there was no chance of his coming out, as he was much distressed at the communication which had been made to him. I was therefore a good deal surprised, and turning round to find him standing at my elbow, and I can only account for his showing himself as usual by supposing either that he was not in fact so much annoyed as I had believed him to be, or that he was actuated by a desire of creating a feeling of commiseration among the English people in his behalf. At dinner, he conversed as usual, and indeed it was quite astonishing with what elasticity his spirits regained their usual cheerfulness. After such trials and disappointments, he never in my hearing threatened to commit suicide, nor do I believe he did on any occasion. The only expression I ever heard him make use of that could in any way be construed into such a threat was that he would not go to St. Helena, Chenirepa, as Santelen. As Bonaparte always retired early to bed, it was the custom for the French ladies and officers to assemble every evening in the wardroom and partake of wine and water, punch or bishop, a mixture consisting of port, madeira, nutmeg, and other ingredients well known to sailors and much relished by our foreign guests. I was sitting this evening next to Montelon when Madame Bretagne entered. I said to her, will you not sit down and take something? She gave an answer which I took for now, and passed rapidly into the first lieutenant's cabin, which she had occupied since she came on board. Montelon, who had observed her with more attention than I had done, immediately rose and followed her. There was instantly a shriek from the cabin, and a great uproar, and someone called out, The Countess is overboard! I ran upon deck, that in the event of its being so, a boat might be lowered down, or the boats called to her assistance, on looking over the quarter and see no splash in the water, I felt satisfied it was a false alarm and returned to the wardroom. Madame Bertrand had by this time been placed on her bed where she was lying in strong hysterics at intervals abusing the English nation and its government in the most vehement and unmeasured terms, sometimes in French and sometimes in English. Lallemann was walking up and down the wardroom, much agitated, joining in the abuse, saying, among other things, that it was horrible to bring a set of people on board the ship for the purpose of butchering them. I turned to him and said, Monsieur Lallemann, what a woman says in the state of violent irritation that Madame Bertrand at present is, I consider little consequence and I'm willing to make every allowance for the situation you are placed in but I cannot stand by and hear such terms used of the government of my country and if you do not desist or make use of more respectful language I shall be under the necessity of taking measures that would be very unpleasant to both you and myself this had the effect of silencing him when the bustle had subsided I retired to my cabin and was employed in writing the foregoing letter to Lord Melville, in behalf of Monsieur Savary and Lallemand, when the latter, attended by General Smartslaw and Gorgo, came in. They immediately entered into conversation with me about the cruelty of this situation, among many other things. They said, you may depend upon it. The emperor will never go to St. Helena. He will sooner put himself to death. He is a man of determined character, and what he says he will do. Has he ever said he will put himself to death, I asked? They answered, No. But he has said he will not go, which amounts to the same thing. And were he to consent himself, here are three of us who are determined to prevent him. I told them that they had better consider the consequence well before they ventured on a measure of that kind. 